Welcome to Talks at Stellenbosch Uni, Stellenbosch University's podcast where we talk about current topics and innovative research done at the university. Here's your host, Roseanne Engel. Today we are joined by Professor Mark Tomlinson, who is the co-director of the Institute for Life Course Health Research in the Department of Global Health at Stellenbosch University. His work has involved a diverse range of topics that have in common an interest in factors that contribute to compromised maternal health, to understanding infant and child development across the life course, to understand the impact of maternal depression on child and adolescent health and development, and how to develop community-based intervention programs. Professor, thanks for joining us today. Thank you. So while the world is still in the midst of a global coronavirus pandemic, there has been some light at the end of the tunnel with all the vaccines that have become available to combat the disease. However, as these vaccines become available, some people seem very hesitant to take them. What does vaccine hesitancy mean, Professor? So maybe first up just to say that and, and I think many, many, in many cases, people don't don't know this, but vaccination has been the most successful public health measure in history. Um, without the many, many uh, vaccines that we have, and 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 people again often forget how many uh, they've they've had. You know, we have uh, vaccines for measles, for mumps, for rubella, uh, for BCG, which is for TB, um, polio, smallpox. Um, and and tetanus, for example, and so many people who've who've gone out, uh, cut their foot badly on something very dirty, have rushed off to get a tetanus vaccine. And in some cases, those are some of the same people who then are hesitant to take a new vaccine. Um, and so hesitancy basically is 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 it's a, it's a um, a caution in, I suppose it's, it's, it's useful to think of it as a continuum. They're people who are very well informed and have important questions. And so they might be hesitant until they, they have the facts. Other people have already made up their mind and they're not even really hesitancy any, hesitant anymore. They're more like uh, they, they're just going to refuse to take it. And so it's important to see a, a continuum um, in, in that regard. But what is the long history of vaccine hesitancy? Yeah, I mean, that's a very good question. So, I mean, there's a there's a very very long history uh, of, of of vaccine hesitancy and vaccine refusal. Um, so, for example, when Edwin Jenner, who was the person who who discovered the smallpox vaccine um, in the late uh, 1790s, they were cartoonists. Um, who showed people who'd gone and got the the, the vaccine um, sprouting the heads of cows, um, and so we've had year we've had hundreds of years of of various uh, refusals, hesitancies. Um, more recently, the most uh, well known recent case is around the MMR vaccine um, and its uh, purported link uh, by someone called Andrew Wakefield, who's a, a British doctor, that somehow that was associated with autism in, in children. Um, and and that the, the, the paper that, that he wrote that was published in The Lancet was in fact later withdrawn. Um, he was in fact struck off the role uh, of the British Medical Society because it was shown that he'd, he'd actually made up uh, the data, even the very poor data that he had, but he'd actually made up some of it. 
um, but this hesitancy around it has has persisted. Um, and, and and importantly, in thinking about the the history of um, of of hesitancy about these you know vaccines, there's also a broader issue around sort of almost pseudoscience and and quackery. And we have we have a very long history of that in 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 South Africa. You know, we've had. You know the vitamin salesman Matthias Roth, um, who who peddled vitamins as a cure for HIV. We had a, a previous minister of health, Mantu Chabalalimsamang, who who argued that beetroot, olive oil, and garlic could cure cure AIDS. Um, and so we have a, a receptivity to some of these you know, these wilder ideas. And and now in the in the the context of social media, these ideas can very quickly um, become you know be, spread and become become, you know, quite widespread in, in, in society. In your estimation, how many South Africans will actually end up taking the vaccine and why is this important? Um, so so the, the Human Sciences Research Council recently conducted a, a survey and, and, and in those results they showed um, that about two-thirds of South Africans that they surveyed would definitely um, or probably accept a vaccine if if that were available. Um, about 15% stated that they didn't know, and as many as 18% said that they wouldn't accept uh, a vaccine. Now, now it's likely, as I've as I've just said, that of the, for example, that 18% of people in the survey um, who said that uh, who said they wouldn't take a vaccine, um, there's a strong, a very very strong likelihood. Um, that almost all of them have had any number of vaccines in their life, whether it's MRI, tetanus, and others. And so far from being sick or disabled from those vaccines, um, those people are actually very likely to be alive today because of those, those, those vaccines. Now, surveys often are... You know they're they're important, but they they can be at times misleading, and different surveys can come up with different different results. But an important thing I think to 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 speak about here is is psychologists talk of something called an in, the intention behavior gap. And so, you know, what people say they they're going to do or not going to do, um, actually may be quite different from what they actually end up doing. So people may be quite clear right now in a survey to say, I'm, you know, I'm not going to take the vaccine. But in fact, when it comes down to it and, and they've have, they have one available, many of those may in fact uh, change their mind. I mean, one of, the, one of the things that's really important in that regard is that, is that when people see other people, you know, close to them in proximity, I mean, you know, extended family members, people in their neighborhood they know and they respect, the more people like them that they see taking it, the more likely that if they're on the fence and they're not sure that they will then take it. Um, and in fact, there's some interesting evidence from some European countries that that people who are quite, quite vociferous about saying they won't take the virus, when they saw other people taking it and when they heard that there were going to be that shortages, there were shortages that not everyone could get, then all of a sudden they were quite quite keen when when shortages were there. So so we don't know. But but South Africa, you know, we we our our vaccination rates of, of infants is are, are very, very good. And our colleagues and I have done research where we asked people if, and this is a hypothetical question, if we asked mothers, in fact, uh, who, who themselves were HIV positive and whether they would be prepared to give an HIV vaccine to their babies, for example. Now, that doesn't exist right now, 
But if they, you know, if it was, would they do it? And in our, and it wasn't, it wasn't a large survey. Almost everybody said absolutely they would. So, so I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful and positive that that even though 18 percent is, you know, close to a fifth of South Africans saying they won't, um, I, I suspect that it'll it'll be higher than that, and more people will take it if if it becomes available to everybody. Now we also hear a lot about herd immunity. What exactly is it, um, especially with regards to vaccinations? So, so herd immunity was a was a was a phrase that that many people would have probably come across for the first time last year. You know, prior to when we had had uh, had, had any vaccines, um, and it's a highly misunderstood term. So, so essentially, the definition of herd immunity is a is is a kind of indirect protection that we can get, you know, protection from an infectious disease when enough people, enough of a percentage of, a, of an entire population has become immune to an infection. And whether whether that's through vaccination um, or importantly through being previously infected by that infectious disease. Um, and so, I mean, it's, 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 if you, if you think about it, a, a, a group of people and one person has a, has a virus and everyone around them, no one's been vaccinated. No one's had the virus, had that virus before. That virus is like, and quite, quite easily jump to the next person, jump to the next person and keep jumping around. The more people that have been vaccinated and the more um, people that, for example, have been in, infected, although obviously vaccination is the primary what we want um, to, to prevent the infection, is that in a way that virus now hasn't got as many people to jump to. And because it doesn't have as many people to jump to, if enough people, um, and I'll speak about what that, what, what that figure is just now, it then sort of peters out and burns itself out because it just hasn't got these receptive hosts that it can, that it can, that it can jump to. Um, last year, the term was used in, in many places. I mean, Donald Trump used it in the idea that, you know, sort of let the, let the coronavirus just burn its way through the American population and then eventually there'll be, be herd Im- immunity. Now, there's never been an infectious disease ever um, that that is uh, you know that that we've got through through herd immunity. So it's so it's, so it can be quite a, a dangerous um, concept. Um, some people prefer to to use the term herd protection um, because herd this herd protection herd immunity doesn't actually if confer immunity to the virus itself. You know, um, vaccines uh, will do that. It only re- reduces the risk that that someone who's vulnerable will then actually come into to contact with it. And so then the numbers are difficult are difficult to 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 quantify. Some people last year spoke that if forty percent of that when 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 we realised um, through testing that forty percent of people in in parts of the Western Cape, for example, had been infected, that will soon reach herd immunity. Um, I think that those were dangerous concepts because nobody knows what that that magical number in fact is, and in fact, herd immunity is pretty much a concept rather than a than a number. So, so, but if if enough of a population uh, gets vaccinated, um, and people have spoken about you know sixty eight percent, spoke about eighty percent, but the more people that you get it. The more protection will be offered to to people who 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 haven't taken it um, because you know they haven't there's not sufficient uh, supply or for for other reasons. 
Now, you've talked about the long history of vaccine hesitancy and, and, and part of that is the mistrust in leaders. Why do you think uh, trust in leaders is so important when it comes to vaccinations and how can we improve this trust? Um, I think so. So when people make decisions about particularly health behavior, but any behavior, um, we have a tendency to 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 believe that people use rational or use rationality to make those decisions. So they they look at the evidence, they look at the facts, and then they make a decision based on that. And that's quite a widespread belief. And I would argue that it's utterly false, that people, particularly when it comes to to something like uh, a pandemic where there's a lot of fear involved, where there's lots of different viewpoints around, that in fact, people often don't use rationality to decide on their behavior. What they in fact use, uh, and I'm and I'm borrowing from a, a, a writer called Robert Sapolsky, who, who who sees it in this in this in this way, is people don't use rationality to decide on their behavior. Rather, they use rationalization to justify decisions after the fact, um, and those decisions they've already made are based on emotion, a gut feeling, fear, um, what their you know what their partner says. Um, and so it's really important that that if we imagine that we can counter vaccine hesitance solely through through facts and the truth, as it were, um, I think we're going to miss the miss the miss the point, because in fact people are not making very often decisions based on that. And so so what happens often is that is that leaders will bring out the scientists and the academics, and the facts are vital, the facts are essential here. But actually, there's a large group of, of, of people in society who, who are simply not going to, to listen to that. And that's where things like trust in leaders uh, come in. That is how, and it's not just about trust in leaders, but it's about, you know, ha- making sure that the people talking about taking the vaccine are people that are trusted by the people we want to take them. So, and, and, and in, many, in many cases, that's not the scientists and the academics. What it is, is religious leaders, it's influencers, it's sports people, you know. And so, if a sort of a, an aging, balding scientist like myself says to a young person, take the vaccine, they really are, are, are unlikely to take that too seriously. Whereas if uh, a young uh, kind of musician who they really respect is seen taking it, seen and 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 heard to be saying why are they taking it? You know, they're taking it to protect them themselves. They're taking it to protect their family, and very importantly, they're taking it to protect the vulnerable people in their communities, their grandparents, their grandfathers, their aunts. You know, so when people see that happening, then they're going to be more likely to take it. And it's not solely about about you know facts or anything so to having political leaders that you can trust that when they say something that is that's you know you know is what it is and it and and ideally of course i'm not trying to minimize the importance of 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 facts and data but 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 if we if we acknowledge that many people's behaviors are based on on this this emotion um we we then must also realize that when people, for example, there's kind of an emotional contagion and people hook onto an idea that this is going to, you know, um, one of the stories that's going around now is that 
because some of the vaccines, um, you know, uh, Bill Gates has been involved. There are these stories, for example, that Bill Gates is trying to insert microchips into the vaccine that will be injected into our blood, which then will either alternate or, you know, or uh, alter our DNA or it will be used to track us. You know, now it's patently, utterly absurd to myself as a scientist. I know that that's not the case. But if somebody feels that quite emotionally and and there are enough people around them supporting that idea, um, you know, so so then 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 that there, there can be this emotion emotional contagion. So in 2019, for example, a, a study in in the Nature Journal um, was able to find you know a, at least one one and a half one thousand three hundred Facebook pages. Um, which were carrying anti-vaccine messages um, with with enormous numbers of, of of followers, and they predicted if those trends continue, anti-vaccine views will dominate online discussions in a decade. That's dangerous, you know. And it's and but at the same time, we we if we believe we can just counter that by facts, we're going to be we're going to be missing an, an important kind of way of responding. So how exactly do we do it? Like how do we uh, communicate around vaccines and vaccinations, especially in this uh, social media age and with all this conspiracy theorists and fake news out there. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I don't have all the answers for that. I have some ideas. I I think, you know, being very careful when we're a political leader, minister of health, for example, when we when we talk about vaccines, we need to be very cautious and in, in, in how we talk about them. So, for example, a couple of weeks ago, when there was that press conference around the AstraZeneca uh, vaccine, you know, be very cautious when you when you use the word expiry date, not because you know part of what they were trying to communicate isn't true. But your audience, when people hear expiry, what they think about is the expiry dates that we see on the food we buy in the supermarket. Um, and what we know about that is that if we passed expiry date, we could take it and get sick. So now I'm not talking, I'm not for a minute suggesting that you don't talk to the South African public about the, the questions around a particular uh, vaccine, for example. But if you're going to use the word expiry, be very, very careful and cautious and communicate and 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 engage with communication experts about how what's the best way to talk about that, to talk about something like that. Um, I've touched on some of the issues around that, that this is not going to be solved by the fancy professors. Um, this is going to be solved by, you know, if your local priest, your local imam, your local rabbi is at the service saying, I'm taking it, I'm taking it for this reasons, as I, as, I, as I said just now, and I really would please encourage all of you to take it, that they then have a photograph taken of themselves taking the vaccine and make sure all their, you know, all, all their, their congregation gets that 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 photograph. It's the, it's the, you know, there's a uh, a reluctance, for example, amongst many young people to take the vaccine right now because because they are the the the, the you know the least at risk for this particular coronavirus. Um, but we need to impress upon them that in fact they, you know, firstly they don't know what 
uh, comorbidities they may be carrying that they didn't even know about, for example, that if they were to get the virus, that, that may have implications for them. But that's a small group. But that actually they're taking it to protect their families, the older members of their families. They've all got parents, grandparents, older people that they that they respect. Um, we need to provide information that is that is uh, that is that is accurate. That reminds them. Anyone who's ever had the flu vaccine, for example, knows that if you've taken it year year on year, you know that some years you take it and then in the next few days you feel a little almost like you've got a cold coming on. Perfectly normal. And guess what? After a couple of days, it's gone. We need to remind people that they've rushed off to their doctor to get a tetanus uh, injection if they've, they've, as I said, if they've got injured. Remind people about what vaccines they've already had and, and how that's helped them. Um, and we need vocal, you know, musicians, sports people all across the board to be publicly taking it, to be publicly, publicly encouraging people to take it. Um, and I, yeah, so so those are, are are all important, and to and to keep and to keep remembering that that we have to provide the facts. We have to keep providing those facts because those are those are, are essential. But remember that that amongst the the vaccine people who vaccine hesitance or have been taken in by some you know uh, by some belief system or whatever, even if that's a deeply held belief, and I and I don't want to appear judgmental in any way to people's to people's belief systems because many people hold these beliefs quite dearly and they come they come from somewhere um, there was a smidgen of truth or something somewhere and if we vilify and 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 judge them for example for these views that's not that's not going to be helpful now of course there's some people within that who are are trying to spread misinformation because they're trying to sell you their new kind of remedy or something that's going to you know by swinging a crystal around you and 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 sniffing some burning something that that's going to cure it or whatever now those are i have no time for for that sort of like those sort of quacks um, but we have to be we have to be respectful of people's views. We have to be respectful of that, but at the same time, push really hard to to convince people to 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 take these vaccines. Well, Prof, this was a very interesting and important conversation, and I thank you for joining us again today. Absolute pleasure. Thanks for the invite. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Follow all the latest Stellenbosch University news at www.sun.ac.za or follow us on all the largest social media platforms.